Hey guys, I'm Pauline Ponders. There's something about coffee shops that always gives me a sense of comfort and stillness. Even with the customers rushing in and out, it has always been a true sanctuary for me where I can let my many thoughts flow. It is also a place where I've connected with the most amazing people, and many of those people I've met are a big reason of why I'm here with you today. Sometimes when life gets too busy, too hectic, and overwhelming, it prevents us from remembering to take a deep breath, to be still, and to be present. Here on Pause, Sip, and Ponder, we are doing just that. Join me and my guests as we talk about everything and anything and the aim to give you some encouragement and some thoughts for you to ponder on. So if you're ready, sit down, relax, and let's just ponder. Hello, ponders. Welcome back to another episode of Positive and Ponder. I hope you guys are doing well in this quarantine. I think it's been almost a month or if not at least a month. I've lost track of time, Um, but I've been anticipating this episode particularly because, as you guys know, I love learning. Super curious. When I find something out, I don't stop there. I continue to learn and wonder about a lot of things, and recently I've been a part of this creator school uh, with a couple of friends, and so far I've been learning a lot in terms of how I can become a better podcast host and how I can be better on the business side. And along that journey, I met our guest speaker today. Her name is Nikita. And I'm super excited to have her here today with me. Um, Today, we're going to talk about a lot of things, which I'm sure you guys are going to be very intrigued by because I was. Um, But yeah, hello, Nikita. Hello and hello, Ponders. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah, so Nikita and I have not met in person, but I think as soon as we like started talking, our energy just clicked automatically. I don't know. Oh, seriously, cool. like the vibes just just came together. Yeah, yeah. And you're in Minnesota right there, uh, right now, correct? Mm-hmm. Beautiful Minnesota, still snowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So even though we're distancing right now, and like literally, we're not in the same state either. We're still able to have good conversations. So today, specifically, Nikita will be sharing about her Hmong heritage and culture. And if you don't know what that is, then you should really stick around. And she's going to be talking about her efforts and mission in keeping. Uh, the native roots and culture alive while also expressing her experience growing up and experiencing identity crisis in the United States. So if you're ready, sit down and let's just ponder. All right, ponders, again, I have my friend Nikita here. Um, Super excited to have you, Nikita. Thank you for doing this with me, actually. No, no, thank you for inviting me. Like, this is my first podcast ever. So, hey, Ponders, you are listening to an amazing podcaster. She's so down to earth. So if you ever get to talk to her in real life, oh, my God, you are so lucky. (laughs) I appreciate the kind words. Um, Yeah, I really wish we could see each other, like, in person and, like, bond. Um, But today, before anything, I think the audience wants to know who you are, what you do, and why you're here today. Absolutely. So again, I met Pauline through Creator School um, because I'm an aspiring blogger myself. I love to write about self-love, healing, and empowerment. So you can find me on NikitaVang.com or just NikitaVang on social media. And 
I am somebody who's very, very passionate about being Hmong, and that comes with a lot of things because we, uh, I, Pauline and I will talk about this today, but we don't have a country. So mm-hmm. for those of you out there who are of a, a heritage, ethnicity, and a history that doesn't have a country, I totally feel you, and that in itself has its very own narrative. Absolutely. Um, And before we go into it, and it's something that I've been seeing um, on your Instagram and from talking with you, you're focusing now on creating content for yourself, correct? Can you talk more about that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) You gotta put those plugins in the beginning. (laughs) Oh, I'm so shy. (laughs) Yeah. So Pauline is saying this because I come from a social media marketing and content creation background for small businesses. So usually I'm creating a lot of stuff for clients and really working on their social media. But hey, you know, sometimes when you turn your passion into your career, you kind of lose sight of yourself, right? So Mm -hmm. I told myself that 2020 is going to be the year that I'm going to be pushing out content for myself and for the people who are a lot like me who feel a lot and want a place to kind of really reflect what they're feeling so that's kind of where my content is shifting to I love that and I think that's like a good topic to kind of intertwine with today's topic and like finding identity and finding yourself and just being confident in yourself. Uh, so as you heard Nikita is from the Hmong community and when I first heard that I was like what? (laughs) Like, I had no idea. I've heard about it before, um, probably from some documentary, but I only knew, like, very small amount of it, and when I learned uh, that she was Hmong, I was so fascinated in learning from someone who was actually Hmong and not from a documentary that I found on YouTube, so I was immediately intrigued. So, who are the Hmong, and where do they stand today, and can you talk more about their history? Yeah, so Hmong people are um, a tribal people, and history-wise, anciently, we are from China. Um, we had our own kingdom kingdom there, and was it was said that we were kind of like fighting to have our own ground, and then we lost a battle, so a lot of us moved to Laos, which is where primarily my parents' and grandparents' generation are from, so a lot of us call the homeland Laos, um, even though we are not Laotian. Um, But there's countries like Laos and Thailand have a lot of tribal ethnicities like us who are very small, but we don't have our own country. So Mm. that's where we call home. And during the Vietnam War around the 60s to 1975 was when um, the CIA... The CIA hired us to be um, allies. And so we fought the war alongside with them. But with North Vietnam taking over South Vietnam... Southeast Asia kind of crumbled, and so that kind of caused us to have to flee for our lives, which made us, a lot of us come to America, but today you can find us all over the world. Um, The United States, Australia, Argentina, Laos, Thailand, Vietnam, China, France, you'll find us kind of everywhere. That's awesome, because when I was doing more research on my end, um, one of the first boxes that came up in the search is, um, why are, why are the Hmong in Minnesota? Is there like a specific <laughs> reason why it's Minnesota and nowhere else, I, like Maryland, so we can meet up? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure every state at least has one Hmong person, but yeah, we are heavily concentrated in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and California. 
Um, I I am not exactly sure why Minnesota, maybe I should research this myself, but for a lot of us to come over to America, we had to have sponsors. So whether that's church sponsors or family who have come here first, I'm, this is my thought. I'm thinking that a lot of us was just sponsored from in these specific states and specifically Minnesota. I think it's a Hmong thing that like when you know Hmong people are somewhere, you feel safer to gather there. And I just think that that's kind of what happened because even though we don't have our own country, we are very community-based, family-based. We're really about the whole and everyone and not so individualistic. So I can see why that might have happened. I love that. I mean, I think the same with Filipinos or any ethnic group, really. Um, it's so awesome to see ethnic groups make a community and come together mm-hmm. and like emerge in the culture because, um, you know, being American, being born in America, um, it can be easy to kind of lose touch of that and not yeah. be in touch or have a connection with your roots. And I think that's super, super important. That's one of my goals really in life. I've always wanted to have my own nonprofit and <gasps> kind of like encourage um, everyone to kind of know and be knowledgeable of the roots because it's important to know where you where you come from so that's awesome um but first i want to learn more about you know the monk community what do you love about it what are some highlights some things that you took with you um learning more about it what it what, what are those things i think I, I i think you know everyone has their everyone has their own experience of being their ethnicity right mm-hmm. so Everything that I'll talk about today is definitely really from my personal narrative and my personal perspective about like what I love or maybe struggle with um, my identity. And for being Hmong, I absolutely love it. I love it, one, because um, I just can't believe, like not that I knew this when I was little, but now that I'm older, I can't believe that uh, a group of people who were continuously killed over and over through history have really still thrived. And if, it, if anything, we're thriving more today than we ever have. And that's something that I'm very, very proud of. No, that's not something that started as our culture in the beginning, but I really think that it's something that has been really sewn and branded into our identity about who we are today. Um, I absolutely love our our culture, our clothing, our mm. food. I, I saw love... pictures of you yeah. wearing like a traditional outfit. <laughs> oh really my God, cool. Yes. Our clothes are really different wherever you go. So we have Hmong Vietnamese clothes. We have Hmong Chinese clothes. We have more Hmong, we kind of call it like a standard, which is like the Hmong clothes you will find in Laos. And now we have so many modern variations as well, too. So I absolutely, like, that is the number one thing. I adore our clothes, and I feel like our clothes is something that, especially mothers and daughters, really get to carry and pass on to their children because it's very cultural that when a, a Hmong woman gets married, her mother will pack a suitcase of Hmong clothes for her and hand that off. Wow. And that is so special to me. And also our Hmong jewelry, like you, it's just very unique to us. Our metal jewelry that you can find, it's very, very unique. So I love that a lot. And yes, our food. <laughs> I love our food. It's really interesting with our food. We have a lot of mixed food from different countries because I'm pretty sure it's because we yeah. don't have our own country. Right. Yeah, so we have very similar food to Lao food and to Thai food and some Vietnamese cuisine here and there. So we, you know, we got your noodles, we got your egg rolls, we got yeah. the sausages, we got the sticky rice and the pepper. <laughs> yeah. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. One random, well, not really random question, but um, with the clothing, which is which I'm really fascinated by. Do you see any Hmong um, um, influences in like modern fashion right now, especially with like United States or any other area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is almost kind of controversial sometimes. Right. Um, like. Um, so sometimes you will see things sold in stores. I won't name any, mm. but they sometimes will find things on the shelves that say Aztec print or, yep, or tribal print. Yes. and Tribal for, tattoos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, like, you know, I think tribal ethnicities and their um, sewing symbols and patterns can be very similar but there are just some things that you know is just Hmong or you have some things that you just know is Aztec so it's for us when we are in a store and we see a pattern of ours it's like we're very grateful like that's really Mm -hmm. thankful but definitely wish that the credit could be given where it's due because sometimes they really are Hmong patterns Oh, no. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's with a lot of native um, ethnic groups like the Philippines, for instance. Um, we were uh, conquered by the Spaniards. So mm-hmm. um, as you can see, like my skin is very um, pale and I have fair skin. So somewhere down my line, um, I have some mix of something. But the original ethnic native groups um, in the Philippines, they have very dark skin and they have colored hair. I'm uh, colored hair, curly hair, <laughs> and um, they're not really seen because they're, you know, more mm. secluded and isolated. And um, I have seen like in many different cultures where there'll be like, you know, a cultural appropriation nowadays and it's mm-hmm. used in different ways and it's not they're not giving credit to, you know, who's due. So that was I thought that was really interesting um, how you mentioned that. What are the belief systems in, in the Hmong culture? I'm really fascinated about that. Um, I feel like, well, with, in general, like, I think every, every culture has this, but it's pretty patriarchal and mm-hmm. hierarchical. So you have a hierarchy of, um, so for sure men sit at the top and then it goes to uh, the, it'll go to elders and then like oldest sons and then it'll go women and then it'll go children. So that's something that is very distinctive to all of our events. Um, All of our events function in this way. Um, So everybody has roles. Um, We either are Christian or we either are shaman in terms of um, religion. And my family is shaman. And what that is is that we really, instead of having a God, we have our ancestors and we have, we basically give um, back to our um, loved ones who have passed and like ask for them to protect us kind of thing so but we have a huge Christian population too so it's kind of like split in the two for belief systems mm-hmm. and then the rest is really about being very family orientated that's something that's very strong in the home community yeah I think similar with the Philippines as well but it was interesting how you said it was man and then elders Mm-hmm. For us, it's elders yeah. and then man. So yeah, th- we we owe like a big respect to our, our to our elders. I think mm-hmm. that's we do. Um, like there's this thing called mano where we like uh, place our forehead against their hand like that to any elder just to show respect. Wow, 
I actually, I feel like I, if I have to correct myself, I feel like man and elders, defi- elders is definitely higher. Mm-hmm. I think it really depends on the situation where the man of the household would then right. t- have the decision because it depends on the household for us that like if there is, yeah, I don't know. It just really depends on situations about who would make the decision. But mm-hmm. I would definitely say elders and men have a very, um, they're kind of like head to head for that for sure. And, right. But we don't we don't have any um, etiquettes like um, putting your hand on the forehead or 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 like in other Asian cultures with bowing to elders and such. We don't have any of that actually. Oh really? Yeah, because I was gonna ask yeah. that if you had any like gestures or anything that you guys did in tradition. So what are like certain traditions? Because um, I'm guessing you know as history passes, a lot of cultures mm-hmm. um, get diluted and become more fluid. Um, are there any beliefs that are, have been kind of diluted over time or is there any beliefs and traditions that you personally don't really abide by or completely agree with? Oh my, um, lots. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, girl. Lots. I'm so scared. Okay, hey, Ponders, if there's any of you that are Hmong out there, just know I love being Hmong and we just, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of things I love and a lot of things that do have to change along the way, but, yeah. um, I would say that right now with quarantine and everything, the biggest controversies are definitely funerals and weddings because Mm. our funerals and weddings are not one day. They are three days long. And um, I learned about that. (laughs) They take a lot of money, a lot of manpower, a lot of um, just a lot to make it happen. And I think that the whole quarantine situation is really forcing us to make a decision a decision about how we're going to go forward with it. So mm. uh, we have something called the 18 clans. Um, so basically we have a board of, there's 18 clans in the Hmong community. So that means we have 18 last names and groups of families. And right now each head of each clan are talking about how do we go forward with or without quarantine about how we handle funerals. Um, and so that is something that I disagree with because I love our tradition and I know why we do it. We do it so that we can send the spirit of the deceased back home to where they originally were born from and to give them a safe journey in the afterworld. But it's actually so taxing on the mourning family and the all the family involved too. So I feel like it's not really serving us as much as it is um, making it really hard for us. So mm. I do hope that we find something to make funerals a lot more focused on grieving the lost one, celebrating their life, and then being able to be there for the family without having it to be so hard. Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. And I guess uh, my secondary thing is just really how the system is really built to really oppress women. And mm. honestly, it makes it hard for Hmong men as well because they are pushed to uphold a very perfect standard so my Hmong brothers out there I understand there's a lot of pressure that is put on you to be the perfect head of the household and to be the actual Hmong man the only cookie cutter form of an acceptable Hmong man I know that's really hard too but one thing is that we women don't benefit from this system as much so even though men have it hard as well women are also having it very hard because Mm. you know when we eat at an event a family event Hmong women have to cook, set the table, and let the men eat first. We only get to eat the leftovers. Oh, and no. that is something that 
dependent on the family so when we're like oh you're from a very traditional family it means they really stick to this hierarchy but more modern families are like you know we get to cook together we get to eat together Mm. so um that's kind of something that's been like um a struggle with our community is how do we how do we find this balance between addressing what's hard for Hmong men and addressing what's hard for Hmong women still maintaining our culture and traditions but not losing who we are Mm. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I, I'm sure, you know, there's so many other um, ethnic groups or cultures that have the same the same kind of class or um, in terms of, you know, social roles. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's complicated, <laughs> very complicated. <laughs> um, yes. So how was it like growing up? I'm sure, you know, when you know that you don't have a country to kind of call your own, and, you know, when we go through all those forms at school, like, where are you from? Um, and you don't see, you know, yourself being represented on that form. How did that feel? What was it like growing up? Um, I think at a young age, it was a little bit frustrating because I didn't understand um, that not everybody. For me, it, you know, you grow up not having a country, so you're used to that. So it I never occurred to my head that everyone else has a country and like filling out those boxes it was frustrating for me because in a sense I thank my parents because they they raised me to know my identity so well you know I grew up on the stories of my dad and how he survived the war how my mom and dad survived the war and like really understanding our culture my parents always from a young age reminded me of who I was and my native my native tongue is Hmong I didn't know English Um, But for me, even for me, like, it was a little bit tough when I have to go to school and, like, people ask me what I am and they never know what I'm talking about. It was so interesting because I actually didn't identify with being Asian. Like, I didn't understand that I was Asian. Yeah. For me, anyone who would say, hey, you're Asian. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm Hmong. (laughs) Like, that's how I grew up. No, I'm not. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not Asian. Stop calling me something I'm not. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, um. Don't worry, guys. I know I'm Asian. <laughs> I got that part down. She has that self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, I got that part down. Don't worry. We're all good now. We're all good. But um, at that time, like, I was so like, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. But not understanding why nobody knew what that was. Like, I knew what it was. Why doesn't mm-hmm. anybody else know what that is? Um, and so growing up, I just kind of like had to keep advocating that like, oh, I'm Hmong and I, I had to know my own history so well so that I could explain it to other people. Um, because many times people get uncomfortable when they cannot identify you, which is really interesting. Um, they get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. so they just feel more comfortable if they can identify you as Chinese. That's just a lot easier for them. Um, but it took a lot of gut to not have to give into people's comfort and really like vouch for yourself um growing up it was i actually didn't have a lot of Hmong friends and i didn't go to school with a lot of Hmong kids and um i i've told you before too that like i didn't grow up in the saint paul public schools which is where most kids in minnesota are going to um so Mm -hmm. i went to a different system of schools and didn't it was pretty still multicultural i think that was really cool but i did not have a lot of Hmong kids kids who were around my age and I definitely went from elementary to middle school and I felt very like I knew something about me was like not being met like there was a part of me that like I felt like was missing I didn't know what 
I just took the chance and asked my mom and dad to please transfer me to a um, public school where there was going to be a lot of Hmong kids. And my mom and dad were a little mm-hmm. bit worried at first, um, but then um, because they liked the system that I was already in. Um, but then, right. yeah, we put we, they put me in public school. And it was, like, so crazy because the only time I see so many Hmong kids are at Hmong New Year every year. We have a Hmong New oh. Year event every year where every Hmong person in Minnesota and even out of state comes to um, – we have a, a – it's called River Center. It's a place here in Minnesota where we all come to dress up in Hmong clothes for three days, do – Hmong so cool. ball tossing activities do like Hmong singing dance competitions pageant everything it's just like vendors and everything so that for mm. me going to a public school with other Hmong kids I was like holy crap mom it's like Hmong New Year every day <laughs> because it was the <laughs> first time that I was seeing so many Hmong kids and it was so interesting because it actually did heal that part of me that felt like I was not being understood and that I was not, I never got to be Hmong. I didn't know that that's what was missing, but I guess it was. And I got to be with other Hmong kids who, whose stories of being Hmong are so different from mine. But at the same time, we have a shared experience. Um, but mm-hmm. it was interesting, too, because I went from not feeling American enough at my other schools to going to a high school where I now was told that I wasn't Hmong enough, they would be like, hey, you're like really, wow. you're really white, you know, and you, we wow. never thought that you were Hmong. You and, can never win on these streets. Yeah, it was really <laughs> interesting. And like, even down to my religion, they would assume like, they're like, you don't seem shaman. We thought you were Christian. And there's no like good or bad, but I just thought it was so interesting. They're like, I didn't know that there was like, you had to look or be Hmong and I didn't like I didn't even know that you could look at me and be like you're not shaman (laughs) like that was really interesting to me that um okay at first I was not American enough obviously all the other kids knew I was Asian maybe not me but everyone else knew (laughs) and then now I'm going to a school where everyone's like oh we never thought you were Hmong we thought we thought you were like Korean or something so yeah, that was an interesting thought for me, but I will have to say, like, it really built me to be who I am today, and I really accept everyone's journey of being Hmong, and even though we don't have a country, like, I can I can definitely say that as long as you have the blood of Hmong people in you, you are very much Hmong, and that, you know, you get to own how you are being Hmong and what your story of being Hmong looks like, because we don't have a country, so we don't all get to say that we were born in the same land, we lived in the same right. land, so we lived the same life. Like, our lives look so drastic, but nonetheless, you're still very Hmong. That's so interesting that you say that, because first, um, I'll come back to that thought. Um, I remember you telling me that even if you're, I think you said in China, that you don't have, like, a citizenship mm-hmm. if you are Hmong. Yeah, so for... Can you talk um, more about that? Yeah, for specifically for countries like Laos and Thailand, you are not allowed to have citizenship um, because you are in a, like, a small tribal ethnic minority. So they have certain laws that are put to make sure that certain people cannot get citizen or, or, or it's really hard to get citizenship. So mm-hmm. for my Hmong family in Laos, they are not able to 
get a pa- passport. They can't travel. They can't leave the country because they aren't even citizens wow. there. So there's no way that they would get to come study abroad or come visit us. So the only way I'm able to meet my um, my mom's biological brother and my first cousins are still there, and I met them for the first time last year. For the first time oh. in my whole entire life, um, my own blood yeah. family, I got to meet them because I flew over there to meet them. So yeah, it's a little bit tough story for them. That's that's heartbreaking. That sucks a lot. Oh my gosh, I couldn't. Even, I can't even imagine. Yeah, because I met my family for the first time um, two years ago, and I know how it feels to like see someone who looks like you, yeah. have the same mm-hmm. blood as you, um, and. It's interesting um, going back to that last conversation we had about how you felt during school and how even among um, other Hmong members in your school that they thought you weren't Hmong enough and how it's interesting how there can even be segregation within your own race, Mm -hmm. within your own ethnic group. (laughs) And I think that's like a lot of people, you know, some people will say, oh, you're not white enough or black enough or Asian enough or whatever. Um, And I think that just comes down to then, you know, this percentage really matter like that doesn't shouldn't play a role in, you know, how people should treat you and how you're perceived, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, especially like Filipinos, I feel like there's this thing of like Filipino pride. And, like, if you're American, like, a Filipino-American, some may be, like, oh, you're, like, too fob or, like, you're, like, too Filipino and, like, I can't really relate with you and stuff like that. I think it's just really interesting um, how we kind of make these groups within groups, which is, it sucks sometimes, but, you know, it's a funny thing. Oh, my God. We actually have that, too. I just... (laughs) Really? Yeah, because like we kind of had this like in in this I I experienced it for the first time in high school. I didn't know this before, but so there's like the Hmong American kids, and then there's the Hmong they call them like the new kids or like fresh or like Fobby. Like they I don't <laughs> I don't call them that. I thought I actually, yeah. I actually loved befriending them and learning about their story. But what they are is that they um, are in the the later wave of coming over here to america Mm. so um my parents generation is so long ago that's like 30 years yeah 40 it's like a long time ago and then like there's a newer wave that came like some of i think one of my friends came in like 2007 2008 they're like very fresh is what we would call them Mm -hmm. so they're very different because they're they grew up in laos or they grew up in thailand so they're actually very immersed in lao culture culture or thai culture and they are just very different from the Hmong Americans. So we kind of do have segregations between Hmong Lao, Hmong Thai, and Hmong American here in in Minnesota and in the in the states. You don't really meet the Hmong Vietnamese or Hmong Chinese because if you're Hmong hmm. Vietnamese or Hmong Chinese, you're, most likely you're still living in China or Vietnam. So we won't really hmm. get to meet that. But here in just Hmong America, we hmm. have that kind of segregation. So I think that's very interesting too that's unfortunate it is yeah I was I was always someone who um was really bothered by the kind of connotation people had and perception of them Mm -hmm. um like Mm. they were less lesser than us or something and 
not everybody thinks like that but it's just a stigma that is there but for me i just i loved befriending them because i wanted to know so much about like how their journey is and um you know just their narrative because they are somebody who's my age but they lived a similar narrative to my parents and i i, I it's like i get to hear that story real time almost and even for them their experience is very different from my mom and dad's experience because time changes so much but yeah, that's something that I always wanted to advocate for when I was young. Yeah, I, I'm always fascinated meeting someone my age just coming from the Philippines or just coming from any any country. Um, like when I had a friend that I met in high school who was a um, an exchange student from Germany. It's just so interesting to me to hear different cultures and how they deal with things and how it's different. I think... Um, immersing in those type of things kind of brought in your perspective on a lot and then you learn about your a lot Um, the reason why I really wanted to do this um, episode it wasn't just specifically for people to or for you to tell people about the Hmong community who doesn't know about it Um, it was really my fascination of like learning and 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 there's it's one thing for learning something and then just not applying it or like okay that's cool like just having it as like a fun fact but I think it's another thing when you kind of like compare the two like compare your own cultures and that's where you kind of learn Mm -hmm. from other people and how to like interact with them you know so I really take this information like seriously (laughs) because I love it. (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that so much. I think when we were having our chat um, off podcast and you, yeah. you had asked me, are you sad that you don't have a country? And that was like so that that question is so heartwarming in a very sad way to me, because mm-hmm. not a lot of people ask us that question. It's like Americans, general America is not really interested in us having a country or not. Other ethnicities are not really interested, but I think that was like only the second time anyone has ever asked me if I was sad to not have a country because I think that as Hmong people, we don't ask each other because we already know the sadness like in our heart, you know, like Mm. we already know what that's like, like our parents have lost their whole lives. They lost their homes, everything. And you being Hmong, you don't go to someone else and say, hey, are you sad? We don't have a country. It's like, it's something that we've already known that we're so heartbroken over. And we don't really, mm-hmm. we kind of just, and I feel like the generation that was born in my generation, we just accepted that like, you know, because we never had a place that was really ours. Our parents did. Our parents had Laos, and, uh, villages in Laos, homes in Laos, mm. a life in Laos you know people who were um merchants and big people in laos when they come to america they're poor just like everyone else Mm -hmm. you know like we are we start from the ground together and so i think it's really special when other people take the time to stop us and say hey like who are you and where are you from and like are you sad that you don't have a country that's very reflective for us because we don't really get to ask and answer that question very often so I really thank you for that because that actually made me remember how much I love being Hmong and how much Mm -hmm. I continue to want to like talk about it and share it with people and also like really leave things so that my children know who they are my future children none yet but (laughs) my future children so yeah I thank you for that of course, of course. Um, it's it's an honor to use my platform to kind of have you advocate for that. Um, because what I try to do is always try to, um, of course, I'll never know exactly um, 
the position that you guys are in or the experiences that you had but I always try my best to kind of fit into other people's shoes to kind of imagine like what would it be like um for all the struggles that you guys went through and I love how you said earlier that um despite not having actual land or a country what you guys really stand for or kind of are known for is just the triumphs that you guys went through you know a lot of different cultures and countries are known for material things or like the amount of money they have or the celebrities that that grew up there or whatever the case may be but for your um country or your your heritage specifically is because of your triumph and that like really begs the question like do you actually have to have land or a country to kind of you know have heritage or to have culture is that like super important and I'm glad you mentioned like how your your parents and like their parents um they knew what it felt like to have something and for something to be taken away and I'm glad that you despite not being in that experience um you still believe that you have something even though it's not tangible it's like something that lives in you Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that question. Um, I feel like for Hmong people, if you ask Hmong people, there's you're going to get a lot of different responses because some people, it is really heartbreaking for them that we don't have a country and they would probably tell you like, yes, we do need a land. And for me, mm-hmm. I would say that I really made peace with how, how our story has kind of been written. And I would absolutely say that, um, no, you don't need a land to keep heritage, to keep culture, to keep identity alive. And I I say that with so much heart because when I go to other countries and I've lived in other countries, I've lived in Korea and even in Korea, not everybody gets along. And even in Korea, some people don't know the most traditional things. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think it's amazing that their everyday life revolves around speaking the same language and knowing the same culture. Like that is something that I would, I've always envisioned. And that's why I love learning about other cultures too, because I'm like, whoa, like you go to a place and the signs are in your language. Like the music is your language. Like that's just, I can't believe it. Or teachers in schools are the same culture. Like that's just (laughs) like, I don't understand what that's like. But for me, I'm really learning that, like, we we don't really need all of that because I see how our Hmong people, no matter what country we are in, no, as soon as you see a Hmong person walking down the street, you automatically kind of have this mutual understanding and have this hospitality towards one another. And seeing how we've been killed off over and over and not only have we survived, but we've thrived every single time. Like, that just proves to me mm-hmm. that land is... It's important. It is beautiful. And I think when land gets taken away from people, that's so wrong. Like, you know, Native Americans Mm -hmm. and everything. I think we deserve the land that we have already built our lives on. Mm -hmm. But I also see that for us Hmong people, we are still very much Hmong no matter what. And it's really something that is within us. It is something that is within our stories, our language, our culture, our clothing, our food. And I think that's something that's going to live on forever. Yes, are we going to have more forgotten traditions and more forgotten language? Absolutely. But I don't believe that we would actually just die out and become just a memory or something of a story because I just, if that was the case, I don't think we would be where we are today. And I think Hmong world 
is very many things. Um, we yeah. don't, I can't show you on the map, but when you come to a place like Minnesota and you come to our stores, like we have a place called Hmong Village where it's just all Hmong vendors and it looks like the old days in Laos where oh, they cool. just have like these open booths and, and we have lots of organizations in even in Laos and Thailand, here, Vietnam, we have a lot of Hmong organizations. We have things like Hmong New Year and Hmong Soccer Tournament that happens every July. Um, Hmong New Year happens every November and December. We have things that wow. no matter where we are, we will establish ourselves. Um, even if it's on someone else's land, we are still going to be who we are. Even though we learn someone else's language and culture to survive, that's mm -hmm. a part of being Hmong. It's just who we are. We're hard workers and we just know what it takes to adapt and really survive and thrive and dream new dreams and make those dreams happen for our children. And I just think that's who we are and that would be very hard to take away from us. Well said. <laughs> wow. You need a panel, like, oh right now. I'm so shy. I've never talked about this in public before. People are cheering oh right God. now. Oh, my gosh. That that was beautifully said. Like, um, that's, like, how you know whether you know about your roots or not. Like, if your land was taken away today and, you know, and you couldn't get it back, will you still have that within you you know did were you actually emerged into your your roots or were you just you know you know people who just wear like cultural things but like they don't actually know much about it um so i can imagine you know that happening but i'm so happy that you guys are thriving and still continuing you know all the culture cultural things that you know that you your ancestors stood by um, so as of right now, you know, fast forward, what is the Hmong community doing right now? Are you a part of anything kind of keeping, you know, the culture and like the happiness alive? Yeah. So I feel like everyone kind of, for me, I personally, personally, I always make sure that I'm still practicing my language. I am wearing my clothes proudly. Okay. Oh my God. I love our clothes. I love, um, writing about our people. I love writing about our experiences so it can be small things like that but we have lots of organizations that are really just keeping having keeping our our culture and traditions alive and our identity but also creating spaces for us to really be ourselves and have our, our narratives um be shared um, for me, yeah. I've joined different things like I was doing um, I fashion designed in a local fashion show called um, put on by chat, which is Center for Hmong Arts and Talent. So I designed a line of Hmong modern clothing um, and I kind of put my own twist on that. Mm. So that's stuff that I participate in. Or I was in a Hmong women's group. So, you know, we're talking about our narrative and how we can make things better for the community. But other than that, I actually am very actively involved in supporting a lot of small Hmong local businesses a lot and helping them thrive as mm -hmm. well because that's all about being Hmong and just really helping each other out. Um, but we have so many things for the youth, for elders, um, and for just anyone. My mom, for instance, she has a <laughs> Hmong women line dance 
team and they have they hold classes for just Hmong women and Hmong men who want to come together and dance dance is not really a thing in our culture but you know (laughs) it's it's something that's growing it's not something that we have historically um but it's something that we've really learned to do so I feel like we're just there's so many things that are happening right now that really lets us be Hmong in our modern day in different ways that's awesome I really want to see that. Like, I want to witness, you know, those communities and see that happen. So hopefully I'll go down there and see that and go to the little events that you guys have. That's awesome. If you ever come <laughs> in November, which it's awful because it's so snowy right. and so cold. But if you ever come in Minnesota in November, I promise you, you come to my house. I'm going to dress you up in Hmong clothes oh, and we're going to go to Hmong New Year together. <laughs> oh, I'd love that so yes. much. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. And then I can come over there and then you can put me in filipino clothes yeah actually i mean looking (laughs) back at like your guys native clothing it's no really no different than our native clothing too yeah so that'll be lots of similarities that'll be awesome um cool (laughs) so we're hitting um 45 minutes right now so uh i guess to close what are your hopes for you know, um, the Hmong community today and where do you see it in the future, would like to see them in the future? I think my hopes are that, um, I hope that everyone can kind of go on their own journey to healing, um, a lot of the struggles that we have as Hmong, um, with our identity and like the things that make us feel oppressed. I hope that we can work together, um, and really heal a lot of those things and so that we can Mm. continue to love our identity and who we are and find peace in our narratives. Um, I truly hope that in the, in the future, future that like my, my whole life goal, like even before, even after I'm not here in the world, I just hope that we'll never be forgotten. And I hope that we will still be proud of who we are and we'll still remember the very roots, even though whatever our life at that time looks like is very different. Mm, love that. This is kind of like, not really sidetracking, but something I was reminded by. It was this, uh, I believe it's a poem, some ex, yeah, I think it was a poem um, called The Smile. And basically it's based in, I think, the future. And um, there's like a bunch of people rioting and destroying like paintings of their past and like all these things, like tearing up the whole the whole city. And there's this kid who falls in line with these people that are rioting and he doesn't really know why he's there and they're all angry and they see them um he sees them tearing down the mona lisa painting and i'm from with context i think you know there was probably something that happened in the past and where they're very angry and maybe something happened they just wanted to destroy what happened and like the chaos um and so the boy not really knowing what's going on he joined in and the one thing that he tore was a smile the pic- the smile of the mona lisa and he took that with him at home and so he still wasn't really sure what was going on and like didn't understand but he like held on to the smile and that kind of represented like despite historical chaos and like the anger or the bitterness that you know his his ancestors or his parents felt um, he, as a young person, was, like, the newer generation that would, like, kind of pick them up and, like, not really hold on to that grudge. And he would be, like, the new generation to kind of fulfill, you know, the hopes for 
you know, the future generation. So that kind of reminded me of you, you know, despite whatever bitterness, you know, your the elders may feel right now or the sorrow or the pain that they have. Um, you guys are kind of like the generation to tell them, like, you know, we should move forward and we can continue to hold those legacies, you know? Wow, that was very beautifully said. <laughs> uh, that means so much to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> you you are inspiring me and reshaping my mind about the work that I do and who I want to be. Oh, thanks so much, Pauline. <laughs> Girl, no problem. <laughs> so, yeah, that was awesome. I loved every minute of that. Thank you, Nikita, for doing that with me and teaching me and teaching my audience about your culture. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for having me. And again, just thank you so much for your podcast. Like I me and so many people. Oh, my God. We are living for the things that you do and your voice and your vibe. And like, oh, girl, I just wish you were here. You'd be my BFF. Like, you are just so yes. you are such a gem. So Ponders, you are so lucky. I'm telling you. <laughs> you guys heard that. <laughs> oh, I heard you subscribe. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Um, but also, let's let everyone know what you're doing and what to expect from you because you got some stuff coming up. Oh my God. Okay. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. So again, you can find me on NikitaVang.com or Nikita on Facebook and A K I T A or just Nikita Vang on Instagram. I will be sharing a lot more blogs and video like snippets of just helping you get through your days, shedding a little bit of light, um, giving you some love with self-love and empowerment and healing. Um, I do have, so right now the game plan is I would like to release one video and one blog a week. So if you have, Ooh. you don't have anything to do during quarantine, like, you know, and you finish listening to, you finished um, binging all of uh, pondering <laughs> podcasts and stuff, you can come on over and read some of my blogs and just chill with me with some videos. <laughs> yes, please do. Uh, please, Ponders, do that. Because I think, you know, we're, we're kind of doing the same mission and, like, spreading positivity and empowerment to people. So, I mean, you'll ha you have to listen and look at her stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Again, thank you. Um, Ponders, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you learned something. I hope you took something with you today. <laughs> and um, if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. Um, for anyone you think who would benefit from this, I think a lot of us could. Um, and especially now we're in quarantine, you have to learn something. I always believe that you shouldn't stay stagnant, but you, you should always feed your mind and always be curious. So that's it. Um, thank you guys. We'll see you next episode. And don't forget to always love, to always be curious, and to always ponder.